Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking back on Arsenal's 1-1 draw with Monaco. The Gunners, in the end, lifted the Emirates Cup after winning the penalty shootout uh, by five goals to four. We're going to talk about that. We're going to break down the performance. Uh, We're going to talk about the news regarding Gabriel Jesus, who is going to be out for a number of weeks. How long that will be exactly remains to be seen. We'll explain exactly what has happened with Gabriel Jesus, uh, the procedure that he's undergone. And of course, we'll discuss how we're going to best cope with that uh, while he's absent. We're also going to talk a little bit about the preseason as a whole. Now, I know technically the Community Shield is still seen as a preseason game, but we've seen, for me, you know, enough in pre-season to kind of draw some conclusions with regards to how Arsenal might look in the new season. And I have to say, without being a doom and gloom merchant, I am a little bit concerned about a number of areas in our team. Those of you that watch this regularly or listen to me regularly that have been on the journey with the Chronicles of Aguna podcast for a long, long time now will know that I'm not knee-jerk, will know that I'm not someone that wants to hammer the team for no reason, will know that I'm not someone that is going to panic over what I witnessed in a meaningless game. But over the course of preseason, I've had some concerns. I've talked about the midfield quite a bit. I've got some concerns about our defending. I've got some concerns about whether or not we know what our best 11 is. I've got some concerns about the fact that we just don't look anywhere near as settled as we did going into last season. We had an incredible preseason last time out. And yeah, the results were great, but not just because of that, because everybody looked like they all understood exactly what it was they were doing. We talk about the team 
having gone through a lot of transition over the last few years. Well, it felt like at the start of last season, we'd got to a point where everybody understood their roles. Everybody understood what was required and they were ready to go out on the pitch and carry those roles out to a really, really high standard. We started the season brilliantly. That bred confidence. And before you knew it, Arsenal were on this run and pushing towards a Premier League title. It doesn't quite feel the same this summer. And I know that some new players have come in and I'm not wanting to sort of say that, you know, they're, they're flops or, or that they were bad signings or anything like that. That's not where I'm going with this. But I have got some worries and some concerns and I want to talk about them because I want to get them off my chest because I had a crap sleep last night. I've got to say I went down to the Emirates Stadium, covered the game uh, for BBC Radio London, got home probably about 9.30, um, jumped on the radio, another radio station, talk sport to talk about the game. And then um, I sort of just tried to put my feet up and chill and I just couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. I was thinking constantly and I was actually really, really tempted to do this podcast last night. But I felt like if I did it last night, I might have come across as being more knee jerk. I might have come across as overreacting. Instead, I wanted to sit there and kind of process my thoughts, gather my thoughts. I've slept on it now, slept for a long time because the jet lag from America is killing me. Um, And uh, and now I think I'm in a better position to kind of assess it all. Uh, in a calmer and more composed way. So looking forward to doing that on this edition of the podcast with you guys. If I could quickly ask you, if you haven't done so already, please leave a like uh, on the stream. Uh, Please subscribe to the channel if your brand's banking you and you're watching us on YouTube. If you're listening to us via the audio platforms, then please do, uh, of course, leave us a review there as well. Uh, Lots and lots of you in the live chat, which is always great to see. I'm not going to run through all your names, otherwise we'll spend another five minutes uh, of introduction uh, here. But we're going to get into uh, what we saw last night in terms of the game. We'll start with that first and then uh, we'll work our way through uh sort of talking about um the takeaways from it so um let's let's start well obviously from the beginning of the game it was interesting to see uh that Eddie Nketiah was named as the captain uh not something that you see every day but Eddie Nketiah of course given the armband Halen graduate all the rest of it surprised that Aaron Ramsdale didn't get it actually given who was on the pitch surprised that Gabri uh that Saliba maybe didn't get a look uh, I beg your pardon Could Thomas Partey have been a shout? Uh, You know, there were a number of players on there that I would have said probably should have had the armband ahead of Eddie Nketiah. But it kind of felt like Mikel Arteta was, obviously, he was aware of of the extent of Gabriel Jesus' injury. And maybe he tried to use this as a a way to boost Eddie Nketiah's confidence. Give him the armband. Show him that you trust him. Show him that you've got faith in him because we're going to need him over the next... uh, I would guess a couple of months. You know, I know that Mikel Arteta said a few weeks, but he's going to be not training. He's going to be out. He's going to have this procedure, uh, which took place, as we understand it, yesterday morning. He's going to need to get his way back uh, to full fitness. He's going to lose some of the progress that he made in terms of his condition over preseason. He's going to be set back and he's going to have to get up to that point again and work his way up to that point. So, yeah, um, maybe that was Mikel Arteta showing that little bit of extra faith in Eddie Nketiah in a bid to try and boost his confidence ahead of what's going to be a run of games in which I expect him to feature quite prominently. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Um, but as for the 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 rest of the team uh, that Mikel Arteta picked, um, it was uh, it was interesting. 
Um, I'm just bringing the uh, the report of the game up on my screen. I'll share that with you guys as well. Where is it? Hold on a second. Um, one second. Let me just bring it up on the screen. Apologies. Should have done this before. Should have been prepared, but clearly I'm not. Um, where is it? Arsenal. Here we go. Here we go. Matches and the game yesterday. Why is it not coming up? Anyway, the team he went with uh, had Yuri and Timber at left back, Takiro Tomiyasu at right back. It was Saliba and Kivior in the heart of the defence. Partey played in midfield uh, alongside Declan Rice and uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, Fabio Vieira from the right, Gabriel Martinelli from the left. And then, of course, um, it was Eddie Nketiah through the middle. Now, you know, I looked at that team and I was a little bit surprised because you think that going into the season, when you're this close to the season, you want to pick as close to your best starting eleven as possible. People keep telling me that it's about minutes at this stage and that it's about making sure everybody's got enough in the tank. Everybody's built themselves up to a suitable level. There were players like Ben White, Martin Odegaard, Bukayo Saka, uh, just to name a few that you would imagine would start when everybody's fit and available. Gabriel too that were left out of the team uh, from the beginning. Maybe that was partly with Sunday's game in mind. Um, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I was a little bit surprised by the team. And look, it wasn't a bad team. It wasn't a team that you look at and you think this doesn't work. But there were a couple of sort of selections that confused me a little bit. So are we coming to the point, for example, now where we have to accept that Fabio Vieira is a winger? Is going to play from the right-hand side? Is it because he's too lightweight in midfield? I don't think that that was what he was brought in to do. I don't think that was the role that he was brought in to play. But I think over time, if you want to give him minutes, Mikel Arteta's probably come to the realisation that you can't stick him in the heart of our midfield and expect him to do battle. Emil Smith-Rowe played in the Martin Odegaard position. Um, I thought he looked lively at the beginning of the game, but it did fade. Um you know, he plays that role a little bit differently, I think. And, and naturally, because he's right-footed and Odegaard is left-footed, he's going to start from a narrower position to receive the ball, Millsmith Road, and he's going to want to carry it on his stronger side. Whereas Martin Odegaard, being left-footed, will naturally drift that bit wider so that when he does receive the ball, he's got space inside of him to drive into. So the, the two of them played the role uh, or play the role quite differently. But, you know, as I say, early on, lively uh, signs from Emil Smith-Rowe. Unfortunately, I don't think he, he was able to carry that out or sustain that for the entirety of the game. Um, at the heart of the defence, Jakob Kivior, well, he was brought in to play as a left-sided centre-back, so I didn't have any problems with him starting in that position. But I will say this, he didn't fill me with confidence yesterday. And that's not always been the case with Jakob Kivior. I've actually been quite pleasantly surprised by his performances since breaking into the side after uh, his transfer from Spezia. He just didn't look comfortable yesterday. But then the bit that I come to, which I think is confusing. So I was a little bit confused. I'm a little bit confused generally about Fabio Vieira. I'm a little bit confused uh, about, you know, Emil Smith-Rowe. What is his role going to be? To me, he's not, um, you know, he's not that central midfield Eight that people have been talking about playing in the Odegaard role. He had a little bit more freedom yesterday, so maybe that's better suited. And, and he got that extra bit of license because you had Partey and Rice playing together, which is what we all want to see. 
Um, I think we can all unanimously agree on that. And I thought we got signs in the first half of, of, of that working quite well. Partey doing his thing in that deeper midfield position. Declan Rice having that license to get forward. He combined quite well with Martinelli on a couple of occasions. Probably should have had a goal, Declan Rice, but for some brilliant last last gasp defending. I do wonder if that was in a competitive game, if Declan Rice would have really gone for that. Whereas in a preseason friendly, he might have just hesitated a little bit when he spotted the defender coming across. I don't know that for fact, but, you know, just a gut feel of mine. But the 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 area that I'm again confused about is is the fullbacks. Right? Tommy Asu playing at right back is fine. Like we've seen that plenty of times. You know, that's not a surprise. That's not something we should be concerned by. Timber playing at left back is a strange one for me. So we brought this guy in with the idea of him being a versatile defender who could cover, in my opinion, three positions, centre-back, right-back, and possibly defensive midfield. Mikel Arteta is obsessed with the idea of his left-back inverting, right? We've, we've seen that. The problem is, is that when he plays certain midfields, so it was okay yesterday because Declan Rice was there and he does have that defensive instinct and he does have that awareness and he did at times drop deeper and sit alongside Thomas Partey when we were out of possession in the way that Granit Xhaka would have done. But the idea of, for example, playing Kai Havertz in there, which we've also seen very regularly during preseason and still insisting on your left back inverting is a risky one for me, I think, because then you're, you're vulnerable on the right flank as your opposition looks at it. So he wanted to play with the inverted left back yesterday, fine. But he's overlooked Kieran Tierney again, who is a left back by trade. Now, I've said before, that I don't think Kieran Tierney's particularly good at playing that inverted role. I think he's still got some way to go in that. I think he still has a lot to learn in that. But, you know, surely he's still the next in line or should be the next in line. We've seen Kivio play there over the summer. We've seen Tomiyasu play there over the summer. To put Timber there suggests to me that Yuri and Timber might well start the season in that position because Alexander Zinchenko is still not fit, still not available. Saw on Instagram that his uh, little girl was born the other day. Congratulations, of course, uh, to him and his wife, which is great. But he's not going to be available by the looks of things for the first weekend of the season, not going to be available for the Community Shield. So are we going with Yuri and Timber there? Now, as fine as it is, for a player to be on his wrong side if the main duty is for him to come inside when you've got the ball. It's not fine when you're defending. And it means that if anybody wants to take on Yuri and Timber on the outside, they're going to have a bit of joy. And that's not a criticism of Yuri and Timber. That's not to knock him. That's not to discredit his defensive abilities or anything like that. But if you're a right-footed player and someone takes you on on the outside, and races to the byline, and you've got to spin and get back. First of all, when you're on your wrong side, it naturally takes you that split second more to turn and start running in that direction. And then, of course, if you do see an opportunity to make that challenge, you're either going to have to swing your left foot around, which is your weaker foot, or you're going to have to dive in with your right, which makes the angle a little bit awkward. And there is the risk of either missing the challenge, committing a foul, all the rest of it. So I don't think it's ideal from a defensive standpoint to have a right-footed player playing at left-back. We saw it last season when Tommy Asu played there to cope with Mo Salah in a particular game. It was the uh, Emirates home game against Liverpool. And on that occasion, it worked okay. 
But generally speaking, on the other occasions when we saw it, and we saw it at Leeds, I think, uh, just a week or so after that, it didn't work and it was awful. And I'm still apprehensive about this idea of playing right backs at left back and all the rest of it, because in Mikel Arteta's mind, it's it's more about the ability to invert than the ability to be natural in your game. I think when you play on the wrong side as well, naturally you're going to take an extra touch in certain situations which can impact your build-up. So I'm a little bit confused about what we're doing at left-back at the moment. I'm a little bit confused about what Fabio Vieira's position is. Although he's played quite frequently when he has been given opportunities from the right, I thought that was just a temporary thing, just to get him game time, just to get him minutes. It could still be that Mikel Arteta took that decision. Um, I'm confused as to why he brought Marquinhos on when there's talk about Marquinhos joining Olympiacos in the next few days on loan. Um, I liked the fact that he went with Rice and Partey in midfield. That's the midfield he should be going with for me. Not sure about what the future holds for Emil Smith-Rowe. And I know, look, I know all of these things are experimental. And I know that if you can't do it in pre-season, then when the hell are you going to do it? But I just don't feel that confidence around Arsenal right now, going into the season that I felt last season. And that's weird because the season before, we'd finished fifth and we'd missed out on Champions League football. Yet I watched us in pre-season and I thought things clicked really well and that we were moving in the right direction and there was plenty of reason for optimism. I look at us this time around, having finished in a much better league position in the campaign prior, and I don't see that cohesion. I see a lot of experiments. I see a lot of uncertainty. And I see us potentially getting into that position and into that place where our manager is not quite sure about what the best 11 is. Therefore, he could end up overthinking stuff. It could impact our momentum. I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, A lot of people are going to disagree with me on this and are going to think that I'm shitting the bed a little bit uh, prematurely or that I'm, you know, making a mountain out of a molehill here. But I'm just sharing with you guys how I feel about this side. I'm not saying that Arteta should be criticised heavily or that the new signing should be sent back and all the rest of it. No, I just feel like we are lacking a bit of cohesion at the moment. We're lacking a bit of balance at the moment. And all we keep hearing from Mikel Arteta, which is all we were ever going to hear really, is you know how good pre-season's been, how well it's all worked, how Uh, brilliantly the team has all come together, how at home the new players feel. But I just look at it at the moment and I don't feel that confidence. Now, if we go and get a result against Manchester City on Sunday and then we go and absolutely hammer Nottingham Forest uh, on on the first day of the season, then, yeah, then I'll probably look at it and say, maybe I panicked for no reason and actually uh, we are fine and we will be fine and that it was just about being experimental and, and trying different things. And, you know, as I keep saying, if you can't do it in preseason, then when can you do it? But I genuinely, genuinely haven't really been too impressed with what I've seen. Where's Declan Rice come into play? You know, if you read some of the articles uh, that were put out by The Athletic around the point of his signing, it was he's been brought in as the anchor man, as the six or the rest of it. Mikel Arteta yesterday in his post-match press conference said that he's come in to play um, in various roles, that his versatility allows him to do that and it allows us to utilise the quality we have in other areas of the pitch. You've got players like Leandro Trossard who 
um, you know, have been brilliant in preseason on that left-hand side, isn't going to dislodge Gabriel Martinelli from his position and nor should he, because I think Martinelli was excellent last season. But what's the best use for him? Is he going to end up having to play as a false nine over the next few weeks? Is Kai Havertz going to play as a false nine rather than, um, you know, rather than uh, turning to Eddie and Ketia? Like there's so many things that are still up in the air for me about this Arsenal side. And of course, we got that news about Gabriel Jesus, which is awful news. And to give you guys a little bit more information around exactly what the problem is, it's to do with the knee injury that he sustained at the World Cup. He, he did return, looked fine. His recovery went really, really well. But over the past few weeks, he has been uh, he has been experiencing some discomfort. Now, from what I've been told, it's due to some scar tissue uh, that is in the knee. That's why they've opened it up and they've gone in there to remove that. It's causing an irritation. Um, I had something similar many years ago when I had a, a, a ligament injury in the knee. Um, and a few months later, when I thought it was all fine, I felt a little bit of discomfort. Couldn't shake it. Scan revealed that there was a little bit of scar tissue still there. And so they went in and took it out and it made the world of difference. It isn't something that is major. It isn't something that's going to keep him out for months and months and months, but it is something that's going to set him back. And it is something that's going to mean that we start the campaign without him. And I think, look, we've all been talking about the David Raya links over the last few days. And one of the things that a lot of us have said is if we do have 40 odd million pounds to spend, then we should be prioritizing another forward or we should be prioritizing a, a wide forward. This kind of reinforces that. Now, the problem is, is that you don't know that this stuff is coming. Um, the problem is that you don't get to see into the future and you cannot, um, you know, you cannot account all the time for injuries like this uh, and for problems that surface like this. But, you know, the, the, one of the big issues is, yes, we've we've done some great squad building over the summer and we've built out the group and, and we've brought in some really talented players. There's no question in my mind about the talent of Declan Rice or Kai Havertz or Yuri and Timber, etc, etc. But there is still a significant drop-off in quality in one particular area in our team, and that's at centre-forward. You know, what's going to happen with following Balogun, we don't know. Mikel Arteta said in his press conference that the plan regarding him hasn't changed despite the injury to Gabriel Jesus, but we don't know um, what that plan is. He, he didn't allude to anything further so yeah it's a, it's a little bit um it's a little bit worrying because I think the center forward position is a really really important one and I think although Nketiah did okay when he came in uh, during that period last season he started really well and then it kind of faded a little bit by the time we got to the end of that period we were all gasping for for Gabriel Jesus to come back um but yeah I'm just I'm just worried about the drop-off there. I really, really am. Mikel Arteta says that we've got other options, alternative options, different options, players that have different skill sets and we might have to slightly adapt the way we play. But yeah, it is a bit of a concern. It is a bit of a worry. In terms of the performance yesterday, generally speaking, um, I, I don't think it was great. I, I thought at times we looked lively, energetic, but at times we looked sluggish. My big, big concern is defensively. We looked, we looked all over the place defensively, really, really bad. I, I thought that Jakub Kivior probably had his worst game in an Arsenal shirt. I thought that Timber struggled uh, when he was coming inside 
from the left to get back out and support defensively. And there was a few times Martinelli had to come back and he got done uh, by the attackers uh, in Monaco colours just because he's not a defender and clearly doesn't have um, that sort of um, instinct. I thought Saliba was poor for the most part. He got himself involved in some silly challenges, got booked quite early on in the game, was really lucky, I thought, not to get a second yellow card. Had it not been a preseason friendly, he probably would have got one for a pullback uh, on a Monaco attacker. So, yeah, and, and the other thing was from sort of crosses, we looked super, super vulnerable, um, really, really vulnerable. And uh, that was obviously um, that was obviously an issue. And, you know, at the time when I was watching the game live, I was, I was covering it on the radio and I said, I think the issue here is that, or, or one of the issues here is that we don't have the dominance of Gabriel from these situations. But listen, you've you got to be able to cope with set pieces. I mean, the goal that Monaco scored for Farner's header, such bad defending. Arsenal failed to get rid of the initial ball. When the ball came out to the right-hand side, they got it horribly wrong. Monaco had another headed opportunity just minutes after that as well, in which we defended really, really poorly. Had they had a little bit more punch up front, you know, they certainly would have scored more. They had that chance in the second half, didn't they, early on, where I think it was Ben Yedder uh, turned it onto the post. He had the goal at his mercy. He really, really should have scored. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I am a little bit concerned by what I saw. Um, and again, I don't want to go too uh, too overboard on it. And I don't want to sit here and, and sort of come across as, a, as though I'm slagging off Arsenal and think that they've got no chance of achieving anything next season as a result of some preseason friendlies. But to say I'm massively confident going into the campaign would be would be premature. Now, Arsenal needs some time because Rice has come in and he's going to do things differently. He's going to play the role of Granit Xhaka differently when he's asked to play the number six. He's going to play it differently. Um, Kai Havertz has come in and has been asked to play as a midfielder, which is something he hasn't done for a little while. And I think you can see that he's learning. I think you can see that he's trying to to make sense of that position are we going to see something a little bit different this season are we going to see Arsenal take maybe a little bit of time to get going um, unlike last season where we started with five wins on the bounce are we going to see Arsenal take a little bit of time to get into their rhythm and maybe peak at a later point which could be a good thing so the point I'm making here is it's not all doom and gloom but it's just the way I'm feeling right now. Um, and this is not based on solely the Monaco game. I thought defensively against Barcelona, we were dreadful. Um, against Manchester United, we made silly mistakes. Uh, against the MLS All-Stars, I think we just played against a really, really bad team. Um, yeah, as Kanan says, it's looking a bit experimental. And, um, you know, the manager's obviously making those decisions and probably feels that that's the best way to utilise preseason, that this is a really, really valuable exercise. But it's led to some unconvincing performances, which naturally are going to make the fans feel a little bit nervous. Lots of you have been asking me what my best 11 is right now. And we did do a pod on this uh, a little while ago. For me, it's still Ramsdale in goal, White at right back, Saliba, Gabriel Zinchenko, Partey, Rice, Odegaard, Martinelli, Jesus, Saka. But we're obviously going to be without uh, Jesus at the start of the season. We're probably going to be without Zinchenko as well. So there's a couple of positions there that Mikel Arteta is going to have to find solutions for. And, um, and you know, that's, that's where I worry that he might just overthink certain things. 
But anyway, um, that's where we kind of are in terms of, uh, of my feelings, in terms of what I saw yesterday. Uh, the penalties were great. That was a big plus, I guess. Arsenal converting those penalties brilliantly. Um, I particularly enjoyed Jorginho's one where he stepped up with the, the sort of Jorginho technique, did the little stutter, and rather than kind of sending the goalkeeper the wrong way and rolling it low into the goal, he just put it in the top corner and said, have a bit of that. Aaron Ramsdale saved his first penalty as well. Um, he just won the the battle, the psychological battle with the taker there because uh, I'm sure the taker was expecting him to dive one way or the other. He didn't. He stood up. He stood firm, stood big, stood tall, and he managed to, to beat the ball away, uh, which was great. Aaron Ramsdale, speaking of him, has put has, has done a really uh, brilliant piece, by the way, with the Players' Tribune, in which he talks uh, about some of the stuff he's had going on behind the scenes with regards to his family, um, the miscarriage that he and his wife suffered uh, not too long ago and, and during um, the season, which would have been really, really difficult to move past um, and get focused back on football. He speaks of, of Mikel Arteta and how he handled that and how he helped him through it and all the rest of it, which is great to see. Talked about his career, about the fact that he'd never competed for any trophies before last season. Um, it's a really eye-opening letter. It's a letter from Aaron Ramsdale put together by uh, my good friends at the Players' Tribune. Of course, uh, the Players' Tribune is owned by Minute Media, which is owned by the same company uh, that owns 90 Min, for whom I work. So, um, we've got a great relationship. I know all the guys personally, they're fantastic. And I know how much work goes into a piece like that. Um, and um, they've worked brilliantly with Aaron Ramsdale to produce that. If you haven't seen it, do check it out. Just search Aaron Ramsdale Players Tribune. It is a wonderful, uh, wonderful eye-opening bit. It's quite sad. It's quite poignant. It's quite uh, emotional, but it's a, a powerful, powerful story. So, um, yeah, do check that out. Um, so yeah, I've talked about the game, talked about my concerns, uh, talked about the areas. I think that there's still a little bit of uncertainty. Um, obviously the Jesus injury is a problem. What would we do or what should we do to, to cope with Jesus's absence? Well, I'm still a little bit torn on this. There's a part of me that thinks Kai Havertz should just go into the nine position. Um, because that's a role that he's played for so many years and, and a role that, he knows inside out uh, a role that he's probably more comfortable in than the one that we're asking him to play at this moment in time. Leandro Trossard has been excellent in preseason and has made a real claim for a starting spot. I don't think that he gets in ahead of Martinelli just because of the energy and power and pace that he brings to the side. But does Leandro Trossard get the nod ahead of Eddie Nketiah? Should Nketiah get the role just following Balogun stay and playing that position? When you say it like that, it sounds like we've got loads and loads of options but I'm not totally convinced about any of those options. And that's my problem with this. I think that they are make do parts if you are desperate, but none of them really convince me um, as being sort of the main center forward and, and someone that you should rely on trust upon. I guess when you've got multiple options, when it's not working, you can shuffle the pack and figure out what does work. But yeah, uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, right, I'm going to take a really, really short pause and then we're going to take some of your questions and thoughts for the remainder of this edition of the podcast. Don't forget to leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. Subscribe 
to the channel as well if you're brand spanking new if you're listening to us on audio then please do leave us a review uh, i'll be back in just a moment to take your questions from the chat box so start getting them in <laughs> Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. Uh, right, let's dive in to the chat box. Um, Stan the Man says, what did you think of Edu's reveal of our magical black Premier League trophy that will one day turn shiny? Um, yeah, there was a video going round of, of Edu showing uh, Yuri and Timber a kind of black trophy uh is it a statue? I don't really know what you call those things, but that Arsenal would hopefully be able to turn uh, to another colour if they went on, if they go on and win the thing. I guess it's just about trying to show, you know, visually what it is that Arsenal are, are out there to achieve. And there are people that learn things or take things and process things in different ways. So some people need to hear stuff. Some people need to see it. Some people need to do it. And I think this is just one of those, I don't want to say wacky, but out there methods that Arsenal are trying to implement. And a lot of this comes from Mikel Arteta. He's repeatedly spoken about the fact that he's involved in sort of WhatsApp groups and conversations with coaches from other sports, uh, from other worlds. Uh, where they exchange kind of ideas around coaching and and sort of the psychological aspect of it. I think psychology is something that Mikel Arteta is massively interested in. I mean, if you go back to the example of the speakers on the training ground playing You'll Never Walk Alone, you, you kind of get the the feeling that he is someone that will really focus on the details and believes actually that the details can have a big impact on your psyche and therefore can take you to another level can give you that bit of motivation. I mean, I would want to win the Premier League regardless. I don't think having a, a fake trophy that's going to change from one colour to another would impact my motivation. But there might be people that need to see that every day. There might be people that need to walk past that every day and glance at it to kind of keep that idea in their heads and, and, and keep them fresh in terms of their thoughts around it. Uh, but yeah, um, I mean, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, Mario says, will there be a 90 min video today? Uh, there will be a 90 min video today. Not the usual studio show, though. Uh, there'll be an interview dropping uh, with Mark Noble, uh, former West Ham uh, captain legend. Uh, and it's a penalty masterclass from Mark Noble, which is a, it's a good video. You'll enjoy it. Uh, but we're going to be back in the studio on Monday to do our Premier League predictions. And then uh, we'll be back into that regular uh, sort of routine um, that people have, um, have come to expect. Uh, Kevin says, um, maybe we should look at Jonathan David as a striker. I think Jonathan David's one of those players that's just being priced out of a move away. I know a lot of our listeners here will um, uh, will sort of will jump into the comments now because in the past I've said I'm not 100% sure about Jonathan David. I'm still not. Uh, we've got a lot of Canadian listeners who swear by Jonathan David and think he's the answer and the best thing since sliced bread. I think that there is... I, I, I'm not sure, basically, about Jonathan David and I certainly wouldn't be going and dropping 60-odd million pounds, 60-odd um, million euros on him as has been sort of mooted as as the asking price. Um, and look, if Gabriel Jesus is really only out for three or four weeks, then do you pivot your transfer strategy 
on the basis of someone being out for three or four weeks? I don't think you do. I think it would be the, the smart thing to do to go with the players that we have, because we've mentioned there are a few options um, and, uh, and focus on the areas that you initially identified as a priority. If you get down the line um, and, and the injuries persist, then there's probably a case to be made that says go out and, um, and, uh, and spend big on another center forward. But yeah, at the moment I'm not, pressing the panic button to the point where we should go and drop a ton of money on someone that I'm not totally sure about. John Daly says, is Zinchenko playing on Saturday? Any thoughts uh, and thoughts if he is? I don't know, to be honest with you. Um, there was talk that he'd be allowed to play five minutes uh, because of obviously the cause and, and obviously how much it means to him. It's something that he's been instrumental in setting up. That's the game for Ukraine I'm talking about, which takes place at Stamford Bridge. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Look, if he gets on the pitch for five minutes and he's fine because of what it's for, because of how much it means to him, I don't think if I was the manager, I'd stand in his way. But he's also got a job to do. Um, and he's also got a commitment to Arsenal Football Club. And, you know, I think that there needs to be a balance found. And and I think Mikel Arteta is empathetic enough and is uh, sort of aware enough of you know, just how strongly Zinchenko feels about this particular subject to not be pig-headed, stubborn and refuse him to play. I think he will um, make an allowance there. And, and as long as uh, we don't have any problems, then uh, I think we'll be good. Um, Owen Young says, Harry, uh, who are your winners and losers of preseason? This is an interesting one. Um, I think loser, at the moment, I'm going to say Flo Balligan because this was an opportunity for him to come back to a, a big club, a club pushing in the right direction um, and and really prove himself and, you know, fight for a place. Instead, he's come back, constantly pushed for the move away to the point where he's now pleading with Arsenal to reduce the asking price for him. He's found himself training alone uh, on numerous occasions. And I'm told that one of those instances was because of, a knock that he picked up, which caused him to miss uh, one of the preseason friendlies. But I'm also told that he's been training alone for other reasons as well. So I think he's probably the loser of preseason at the moment, not in terms of I don't think he's a good player, just because I don't think he's benefited anything from this summer so far. Uh, winners would probably be, I think Timbers look really, really good, um, particularly on the right. Um, and uh, and he's obviously come in early enough to get a run out. I'm still not sure about Kai Havertz yet. I think in the long run, we'll say he benefited from having preseason with us and, and playing in that position ahead of being expected to do that role regularly. Um, Trossard would be the big winner, though, for me of preseason. I think he's been superb. And we forget that, you know, even sometimes when you move from one club to another within the same league, you need a bit of time to settle in. It looks like he's really settled in now and we're seeing the best of Leandro Trossard. Um, what else have we got? I'm going to try and um, and not do questions that we've kind of already touched on. Uh, so if I don't read your question, it's not because I don't want to. It's just because I'm trying to keep the conversation uh, flowing and, and, and trying to avoid subjects that we've spent quite a bit of time on in the show already. But Jid says, is the reason for the lack of faith in Eddie that he isn't a fan favourite? Doesn't seem to matter how well he plays or how many he scored. The fans just don't want to have faith. Because bandwagon. Um, 
uh, I don't think that's necessarily true. I, I, I would love Eddie to succeed, but I've never been totally convinced that he can succeed at Arsenal, that is. I think he could go to a mid-table Premier League club and be a very, very good, competent striker. I just think that his game is not as well-rounded as Gabriel Jesus is. You would, some would argue, and I think it's a fair argument, that in the six-yard box or inside the penalty box, if you wanted a chance to fall to one of them, you'd prefer it fell to Eddie Nketiah. But I just think his all-round game isn't quite as sophisticated as Gabriel Jesus is, and I think there is a drop-off there, uh, which we can all see. I don't think it's about popularity or anything like that. I mean, I was at the ground yesterday and everybody was singing Eddie, Eddie when he came off. So there's clearly um, love. Um, there's clearly an admiration for him among the fans. Uh, what else have we got? Um, oh, Standard Man, who is your choice to replace Jesus? I, I'm torn between Havertz and Trossard. I think I would lean slightly towards Trossard just because of how good a form he's been in of late. Uh, the Italian Stallion says, uh, do you think that we will not go in for Raya due to the Jesus injury? It depends on the, the, the prognosis of the injury. You know, if if Arsenal feel that Jesus is going to be out for a longer period of time and they're just trying to keep everyone calm by not really stating that, then maybe the plans pivot. Maybe the plans change. I also don't think that Arsenal would pay 40 million for David Raya, by the way. I think they will feel like if they hold on, and get a much better deal than that, given his contract situation and subsequent desire to move to Arsenal at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see Arsenal pivoting away from Jesus or, or going and bringing another forward in, given the options that we've talked about, if it is a three, four, maybe even six-week injury. If they're worried that it's going to go on longer, maybe they're going to take the next couple of weeks to, to figure it out, measure his progress, and then maybe at the end of the window, uh, you'll see, um, you know, you'll see Arsenal move for a striker if they they grow increasingly concerned with regards to Jesus's fitness. I don't know yet. Uh, Rutve says, "Do you reckon the mass injuries are going to continue throughout the season and cost us games that should be easy wins?" Difficult to say, but ultimately that's what you want a squad for, right? To be able to cope with those situations is something that we haven't been able to do in years gone by. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let, let's, let's wait and see. Let's not try and let's not have a meltdown about injuries that might happen. Um, because I think that's a really dangerous headspace to get into basically. Uh, let's just see how it goes. But I think we are, look for all the, the negatives I, I sort of went through at the beginning and for all the concerns I have, you do look at the squad now and think bloody hell, that squad is stacked. We're going to have to move some players on. We know that. But even if you just focus on the players that you believe are a part of the plan, it's still much better stacked than it was 12, 18 months ago. And you've got to be positive about that. But now it's about finding the right formula, the right balance, not tinkering too much, not overthinking it. There's a difference between rotating and tinkering. You rotate with players that you believe in and you know can do certain roles to keep the team fresh, to give everybody minutes, et cetera, et cetera, to keep them sharp when they're going to be called upon. And then tinkering is when you don't really know what your best formula is. You don't know what your best team is and you're trying things. And you can't really do that in a Premier League season, particularly when you're up against a side like Man City. If you have aspirations and goals um, to go on and, and win a league against a club like that, a side like that, forget the club part, a team like that, then you need to be nearly perfect. 
which means you have to have a clear idea of what works, what doesn't, and um, and how you're going to produce your best football on a weekly basis. But anyway, I think I'm going to leave it there. Final thoughts, final summary. Um, no need to be too concerned. No need to have sleepless nights, but there is a lot of food for thought, I think, going into the campaign. There is a lot that still needs to be uh, worked out, I think. I think within Mikel Arteta's mind as well, there will be some question marks around who's best suited to playing what position. Um, the inverted fullback thing, do we do it on the left? Do we do it on the right? Do we do it both? Do we do it one or the other? Do we rotate between the two? There's loads and loads to process and loads and loads to think about. And I'm sure he'll be working hard behind the scenes uh, over the next sort of 10 days or so as we lead up to the new Premier League season. But yeah, um, just wanted to get that stuff off my chest. And I feel better for doing it now. I've talked myself into a more positive mood, which is great. Anyway, going to love you and leave you. Thank you all so, so much for tuning in. As always, really, really do appreciate it. Don't forget, like, subscribe if you're on YouTube. Leave us a review if you're listening on audio. Uh, we haven't even got 100 likes on the board yet, which is crazy when you think about how many people are watching this. So please do uh, get involved in that. It really, really does help. And I'll see you guys all later with more. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.